0: is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to
1: Pregnancy Center in Camp Hill, also known as Life Choices Clinic. We are a non Christian ministry serving women and their partners and families who come seeking help in making decisions about their pregnancies and related concerns. We are supported by churches, individuals, and the local community, so we are able to provide our services free of charge. I am the nurse manager, and I have the privilege of providing ultrasounds to confirm a live pregnancy and give the client information about her pregnancy so she is equipped in making a well-informed decision. I have been serving there as an RN for nine years now, and I truly enjoy working for this ministry that helps so many women in our community. I'm Leslie, and I'm serving our community here and now.
2: In 2008, my wife and I had our first experience hosting an international student in our home. We discovered how rewarding it was for us and how the gospel message and the love of Christ could change the lives of the students we were hosting. Over the years, we've hosted students and adults from Spain, China, and Japan. These opportunities have created friendships and close relationships that continue to grow and enrich our lives. We enjoy expressing God's love to others by opening our hearts and our home to people of other cultures. I'm Kerry Trudgen. And I'm making a difference here and now.
3: So uh, that's our series, Here and Now. And um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about and kind of setting the stage for this whole idea of us being people who are contributing to God's work in our own community here and now. So in our vision statement, we have the hands up, which is celebrating God's grace, We have hands in, which is connecting with God's family, and then we have hands out that is contributing to God's work. And we contribute to God's work in our church family, in our local community, and globally. This series is specifically about how we contribute locally in our community to touch lives and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And uh, Pastor John Hendrickson helped us put together the whole series. He's the mastermind behind it. And actually, he serves on our staff as uh, not only assistant campus pastor at our other campus, but also as a director of those local ministries and those partnerships. Some of them that you hear about on the screens, some of them are larger partnerships, some of them are singular. It's you doing your work in the community to bless the community. So we're focusing in on what can we do here and now to be an expression of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first week we talked about how God is working in the earth and he's a missional God and that he's at work and it's our our job to join him in his work. And then last week, uh, if you were here, Pastor Rick talked about how to be salt and light and, and how we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be salt, to bring out the flavors of God in the world and to be light, to light the pathway so that people can meet God and come into relationship with him. But this week we're going to, Uh, address another question and that's it. If God is on the move and he's doing things and we're to be salt and light and we have the Holy Spirit to do it, why is it so difficult sometimes then to follow Jesus here and now? Why is it so hard to do that? Why is it so difficult to do that? Our dilemma is that we live in culture. We live in an environment. We don't live in a vacuum. Those two things aren't just true. God's at work and we're to be salt and light. The third truth is is that we all live in a cultural environment that sometimes inhibits, sometimes it gives stepping stones to following Jesus, and the next time it gives barriers to following Jesus. So we're going to talk today about this dilemma of culture, because culture, as we learned in the first week, God has built some great building blocks into culture. There's all kinds of redemptive stories that God has implanted. There's all kinds of eye openers in people's individual stories and in the di- different peoples of the world so that God can get in to pull out those redemptive stories. We can join him in his work in that. But also culture cannot can be a barrier sometimes for us to follow Jesus Christ here and now. When we get too comfortable with the culture, when we get too sucked in and We simply start to move along the flow of the culture without even knowing it. It pulls us away from the idea of a pilgrimage with the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden we find that we're just going with the flow, and we're missing Jesus. And so we wanna talk today about what it's gonna take in order to follow Jesus in a culture that sometimes pushes us in a different direction. When we're drawn away by the allure of the world, it's hard to follow Jesus here and now. I remember my first two years in college, I went to a small private college in northeast Georgia called Tocco Falls College. And uh, it, uh, back then it was run by our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I went to that small school. I think when I went there, there was about 650 students in all four years of the school. So everybody knew everybody. I was from Pennsylvania. We were in northeast Georgia. And in order to get away from the week for the weekend, you had to get permission from somebody else's family to visit their home for the weekend. You couldn't just show up. You couldn't just leave the campus. You were in big trouble if that happened. And so I'd been invited to go for the weekend. Uh, to a, there was a couple of gals and guys who lived in Atlanta, and they were from affluent families that had big houses. And I was from a little you know town in, in Pennsylvania, had a small house. So we were going to Atlanta for the weekend, and we got permission from the family to be there. And I remember as we were driving there, it took about an hour and a half to get to Atlanta from northeast Georgia where we were at. And I remember a couple of the girls in the car and they were talking about a, a course that we were taking in biblical history in our freshman year. And they said, you know what really bothers me most about the course? Is that I thought that I was a Christian till I took this course. And then I'm realizing by taking this course that you're really only a Christian not by just what you believe but if you're following Jesus. That Jesus wasn't just looking for believers. He was looking for believers who would become followers of him. And we were studying one of the Gospels and you couldn't get away from it. It wasn't about just what you believed. It was, did you believe enough to follow Jesus Christ? And I remember these two girls debating this in the front seat of the car and saying, I'm not even sure if I want to do this, this follow Jesus thing. You see, they'd gotten... They'd gotten used to a form of Christianity that said you can go with the flow. You can run with the culture. And all of a sudden they were faced with Jesus himself saying to them, come follow me. And they were a bit intimidated by that invitation. You see, I think sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus because we've gotten things mixed up. We think it's just about what we believe, but it's about believing in him enough that we follow him. And that means that we go against the current of the culture that we live in when we do that. So I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, because when Paul wrote this to the Romans, they were dealing with the same type of thing. They were dealing with the same type of thing that they were coming up against a culture that was sucking them in. And I think as we look at this passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 12 in the first couple of verses, we can discover how to follow Jesus even in difficult times and circumstances in our culture. So let's jump right in there. and Let's get into the first, the first point, which is why is it so difficult to follow Jesus here and now? Because it requires me to put myself on the altar and not the throne of my life. Because it requires me to put myself on the altar, not the throne of my life. Our culture says that we live here and now, and facilitates this mindset of be happy all the time, be content. I have times in my life where I get to give people some counsel. I'm not a counselor, I'm a pastor. So I usually tell people, when I'm going to give you this counsel or input, I'm not giving to you as a counselor, I'm giving to you as a pastor, I'm a discipler, I'm going to point you to Jesus. We're going to look at the Bible, Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a therapeutic counselor. That's not what I do. It's not what I'm called to do. We have therapeutic counselors and they're good and they have their place, but that's not what I'm doing. And I remember sitting down with a young lady not too long ago, just a few years ago, and she was so distraught that she showed up at my house. Her marriage was unfolding. Her husband had been away at war and he came back and they just couldn't make things mesh again. And as she sat there in tears on the sofa in our living room, sobbing, she just kept saying, but doesn't God just want me to be happy? And finally I said, maybe not. Maybe this is more about you growing up on the inside than just being happy on the outside. She was so focused and pulled into a current of our culture that says do whatever you need to do to be happy, but don't grow up on the inside. And she, had, she, she walked away that day A bit let down by me. You know, as a pastor, sometimes you need to let people down. You need to tell them the truth. You need to be honest with them. No, it's not God's top thing just to make you happy. He's not a carnival clown in heaven coming down to do an act for you. He has more for you. He created you and made you. Life is deeper than just shallow happiness. And you will find true fulfillment if you stay with Christ and stay in this marriage and work this out. But she walked away that day sad. She walked away that day sad because the culture was pulling her in and she was going with the tide in and out. That's a sad day. I don't like those kinds of discussions. I don't like when they go there, but it's not really my choice. You see, we all have a choice Today. All of us are young college students in some sense, dealing with, are you going to follow Jesus? Are you just going to believe the right things, or are you going to follow Jesus? And in Romans 12, 1, they were dealing with this same crisis of faith. And the Apostle Paul says some interesting words as he exhorts them to climb off the throne of their life and get their life onto the altar of God. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Underline that, offer your bodies. That's a very interesting word that we're going to talk about in just a moment. Underline, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. He tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, as a worship to God. This smacked in the face of Greek culture that he was living in. In Greek culture, they actually said that it was the spirit that mattered and that the body, they actually would use this, and I'm translating it, use kind of this term that the body was a prison house to the spirit. And someday the spirit would be released from the prison house of the body. But the, what happened in the body and the things that you did in the body were of little consequence. Your spirit went to one place. You took your spirit and your body to one place to worship at a temple or some place and to give sacrifices or whatever in Greek culture. But your body, although they were enamored with the body, and we know that from Greek culture, the body was kind of something you did whatever you wanted to do with it, and it didn't have much to do with God. This also translated over into their work. The Greeks were one of the first cultures that began to separate the sacred and the secular. And they started this kind of mindset that when you worship God or you give homage to God, however you do that, You keep that over there, you do that in the temple, you keep that to one day a week, you keep that to yourself, you take your God and you put him in a box and you do that one day a week and then you close it and the other six days of your week or wherever you worship and they weren't just talking to Christians, it's all different belief groups, that you keep your God and your worship of God in a box and what you do with your body and your life and your occupation for the rest of the week is really up to you. And isn't really married up. It was a a dichotomy that messed people up. It was a cultural thing that was going on. And a tide that was going on that separated God from the rest of the whole of people's life. But Paul says just the opposite. He says take both the body and the spirit and engage it in worship with God. Paul was emphasizing that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We know he says that in other parts of his writing. And it's smacked in the face of culture to say that I'm going to give every day 24-7 to God. Everything that I do will be an act of worship to him. And in this way he said, you keep God on the throne and you put yourself on the altar and you keep things straight. And when you do that, you can begin to follow Jesus. You see, when I'm on the throne, who's following? Everybody else. I need to be in command and conquer and rule mode, right? When I'm on the throne. But when I get off the throne of my life and God gets on it, and I get on the altar that's the place of worship where I'm supposed to be, then I can give God my every day. So our culture might say something like this. Go to a house of worship and do what you want to do. Believe what you want to believe there. Worship has its place. It's fine. It's fine. But keep it in a compartment. Put it in a box. Don't let it invade and influence every other part of your life. But God's Word says that God is to occupy our throne 24-7. 24-7. The great commentator William Barclay put it this way. True worship is the offering to God of one's body and all that it does every day. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble, or a ritual however magnificent, real worship is the offering of everyday life to God. Not something transacted in a church but something that sees the whole of life as the temple of the living God. The message paraphrase of this passage puts it very well for me. I'm simple and I like this. This is how the message paraphrase puts Roman chapter 12 in the first couple verses. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Jesus put it this way in Luke 9 when He said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross, what? Daily, daily circle that, daily and follow me. So what does it look like to follow Jesus on a daily basis? I mean, it's kind of pretty easy to come in here, write some notes, be hepped up for a while, but what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as maybe some of that energy drains away that we gathered when we came together to celebrate God and worship as we should? What happens? Here's a pattern that I've been following that helps me. At daybreak, we call this Finding a daily rhythm. Some people have called it a daily office. It comes from a Latin word. And office comes from this Latin word that means work. And uh, it came from a group of people that, who five, six, seven times a day would stop their physical work and they would sit down and meditate on Scripture and worship together so that the work of God in them could be connected with the work that God was doing outside of them. And so they started to call it a daily office, making room for the work of God in here and stopping and contemplating and listening for a few moments, a number of times a day. And so I've kind of picked up on this thing. And, and, and at Daybreak, we teach this in our journey class, that this is a way to connect with God every day, to find this daily rhythm. And the first thing you need to do is rest. Resting means you just stop and And you quiet yourself, and you focus on God alone. And if you're interested in this little pattern, don't worry about writing it down now. If you put it on your card today, we'll send you a little card that we do in the journey class that will help you follow up in that, okay? I know some of you are like, I'm just resting," to rest. You know, just put it on my, I'd like the journey rhythm, I'd like the daily rhythm card, and we'll send that out to you, okay? So it's rest, it's stopping, quieting myself. On my phone, I put two minutes. (laughs) And I can barely rest for two minutes. After 30 seconds, my mind's somewhere else. But I'm training myself, and I'm getting better. I get 30 seconds in. Now I get a minute in. Now I get a minute and a half in. I'm reading a book right now that's telling me, just, just try to get up to 10 minutes sometimes, maybe once a month where you're just sitting and focusing on God. So we just start with a little bit, stopping and resting. And then I read. I take in God's word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I read the Bible every day. And I take it in. And then I reflect on it. I consider, what is God saying to me through his word? If I'm to follow him today and walk with him 24-7, what's he saying? And then I respond. It's not most times in the form of a prayer that expresses my love and my allegiance to God or some of my thoughts or my questions to God. And uh, this is where I kind of, this is something new for me. I take a little bit of a break. I get up from the table. I usually start this early in the morning. I get up from the table and I get our dog Lily out. Lily is my prayer partner. Here's my prayer partner. <laughs> she lets me know, let's go. Let's go pray. Come on. Let's get going. And it's about a half a mile around our neighborhood. So I can take Lily around once. And because she's small, that's about enough for her. Then I can drop her off and I can continue to pray. But it gets me... Quiet and in the presence with God. See, for me, I'm someone who needs to stop and be quiet, but I also need some activity on the outside so my inside gets quiet. Does that make sense to you? Some people, some people are like that. I need, I need to be walking, and no one around, just the beauty of God. Sometimes I'll put my iPod on, but so, so for me, I need to do that. I need to respond to God, and then I need to return to God. Later in the day, in the afternoon at lunchtime, I'll go back and look at what I read. What's God saying now? What did he say this morning? What was he saying as I met with this person or I worked in the yard or as I did my, you know, my, my job today? Because God's moving all the time. And so I return back and I say, God, th- this kind of pattern helps me remember and put God on the throne of my life and keep myself on the altar of worship before him. It's a pattern that helps me remember that. We teach it in our journey class. Carmen talked about our journey class. If you haven't taken journey class through the journey class, we help you not only put a plan together for your daily rhythm with God, but for the other two C's, the celebrating God's grace, connecting with God's family, contributing to God. We help you put together a plan so that you can grow. If you haven't taken that course, you should probably sign up for it and join us starting this Wednesday here or this Thursday at Good Hope Road. We would love to have you there. Enjoy having you there. Getting this straight, who is in charge and who is not as critical, and keeping it straight. But it's not the only factor that makes it hard to be a Christ follower in our culture. So why is it so difficult to follow Jesus here and now? It's because it requires me to address unhealthy cultural patterns that are around me. I have to address unhealthy cultural patterns around me. I guess Lily, did Lily take over? (laughs) Guys, we're on to the point two. It requires me to address unhealthy cultural patterns. Thank you. Lily can tend to take over, so I thought maybe she did. Romans 12.2 says, Don't conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. How can we know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? We can do it as we let him transform us and change the way that we think. The phrase here, conforming to the patterns of this world, is a, wor- a word that connotes uh, something taking shape from the outside, something being either pushed or molded or shaped or patterned, Okay? And the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to develop a lost art called discernment. Discernment says, am I going to allow this cultural pattern to shape me or not? Am I going to give in to it as it pushes on me and molds me? Or am I going to push off of it? Is it something that is developmental and helps me grow? Or is it something that's detrimental and not helpful? And the Apostle Paul says there's a lost art of discernment that can only happen when you let the Holy Spirit of God invade your heart and your soul and your life. He's telling us that the world will do its best to push us into its mold, to shape us, and that developing a discerning spirit of God is the only way to be aware when these unhealthy cultural patterns are pushing you, are forming you and your lifestyle in detrimental ways. Paul says the only way to develop this type of discernment in the midst of this culture of conformity is to be transformed in your inner man through the renewal of your mind. He links it back to the last point, to get ourselves off the throne of our life and Christ onto the throne of our life and to get us on the altar. It's only in God's transforming presence of letting Christ invade us from the inside out See, God doesn't want to just change our behaviors. He wants our behaviors to change. But He doesn't want to just mold us from the outside in. He doesn't want to just mold us and make us into puppets that he can puppet along. He wants to come inside of us because we're made in the image of God. He wants to get that image of God alive again in Christ. He wants to renew it and transform it so that we're growing from the inside out. And then our outside is exhibiting what's on the inside of us, which is a changed, transformed, changing, growing heart of a person who's on a pilgrimage with Jesus Christ and he's changing their life. And our hands are going up and our hands are going in and our hands are going out because our hearts are raised up to God in worship. And it's only through that transforming process that that can happen. Again, I find the message, paraphrase, helpful. It puts it this way. God's truth this way. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed From the inside out Readily recognize what he wants from you And quickly respond to him Unlike the culture around you Always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings out the best in you He develops well formed maturity in you In a book that I was looking at not too long ago Called Roots and Wings By pastor and author Edmund Chan He points out four prevailing unhealthy cultural patterns that seek to press us into their mold. I want to just look at this for just a couple of seconds so that you can get the idea of what I'm talking about. Now, the chart that's up there has lots of words on it. Don't get too engrossed in all the different words or the bullet points. I want you to look at the four main, uh, at the top of each of these four quadrants, it says identity in the age of narcissism, truth in the age of pragmatism, Authority in the age of consumerism and spiritual health in the age of fatigue. I want you to look at those. What he's saying is that there are four cultural patterns that are pushing us into the culture's mode, and they are narcissism, pragmatism, consumerism, and fatigue or busyness, the barrenness of busyness, okay? Okay. And that they, they are not just ideas. They are cultural norms, patterns. They're pushing us around. Narcissism, of course, is self-worship. And he says that God wants to replace narcissism with identity, identity in Christ, okay? He says for pragmatism, he wants to replace it with truth. See, we live in this culture of pragmatism. Pragmatism means this. Whatever, whatever works is the truth. And the truth is, if that works for now and is the truth, then the truth can change because that might not work for you next week with that same person, that same place. And so the truth is always evolving because the truth is just based on what works for us. It's not based on an objective truth outside of us. There's a, no, it's all subjective to us. And we live in an age, in a culture, that says if it works for you, it's the truth. And you have your truth and I have my truth, but there's no truth Above us and beyond us, transcendent of us. And what he says is, God is truth beyond us and above us, and transcendent, and we need to get in contact with the truth, and the truth will set us free. And we need that. He also says we live in this day of consumerism that's all about us getting more and more and more and needing more and more and more, but we never stop to consult God and have an authority in our life is, is it enough? God is this enough? And when we don't have authority in our life before God, we just go on consuming and consuming because we think that's the answer, and it's not. And then we live in an age of fatigue or the barrenness of busyness, and he said we need spiritual health. We need times of rest and growth and emotional health and spiritual health. But we live in this day and age, and I was just meeting with with a, a, a gentleman the other day and he was telling me where he worked at. He goes, oh man, where I work at, which is a Christian organization where he works at. He said, you know where I work at? We're great at just burying ourselves in busyness here. He said, and every day we get together in meetings and stuff or we walk by someone's office and we trump each other. You think you're busy, huh? but look at my schedule. And we do that. We, we live in a culture that says, if you say you're busy in small group tonight or this week, someone else is going to trump you. I'm busy, huh? I've been up for six days without food or water. (laughs) And you really want to respond by saying, I noticed. I noticed. (laughs) You're kind of grumpy when you came into group tonight. Eat, rest, sleep. God's word says there remains then a Sabbath rest for who? The people of God. So we need to go against the norm. We need to say, no, I'm not going to work myself to death. I'm not going to make retirement some idol to be worshipped off in the distance. I'm constantly be pushing myself towards, someday I'll rest, someday I'll rest, someday I'll rest. I'm not. I'll push against that cultural norm and I'll rest in the Lord. And we'll delight and we'll help each other. I'll tell my friends in small group, way to go. Way to take a day off rather than you took a day off. I wish I could take a day off. <laughs> nope. Living without limits, invaluable. Pretty much God incarnate here. <laughs> World would stop if I took a day off. Really? Really? It's a cultural, it's a cultural storm that's pushing against our soul. And we need to find ways to stop and get before the Lord and delight in Him. Stop, rest, delight, contemplate. Those are the four key elements of Sabbath rest. Stopping, resting, delighting in the Lord. Contemplating what God's doing in our lives. When I was in high school, uh, my pastor had a little boat. And uh, his son Tim was my age. And we would go to Lake Raystown from time to time with the youth group and go fishing and tubing and things like that, water skiing. We took the little boat up there one Saturday, and it was just the three of us going fishing. We knew by the end of the day it was calling for some storms, but the beginning of the day looked beautiful. And we got into the boat, and one of the first things that Pastor Richter said to uh, his son uh, Tim and myself was, hey guys, while we're going out here to the fishing spot, go back there and untie all those knots that were in the anchor rope. So we were talking, laughing, having a good time, getting our bait ready, doing all this kind of thing. And at the same time, we're untying, you know, the knots and the rope, getting everything ready. So maybe later on, we'd need to use the anchor. What happened was later in the afternoon, a storm kind of rose up pretty quick there. And we needed to, to bunker down. We needed to actually put the tarp over top. And it was coming down. It was just like, boom, all of a sudden. We should have known better. We should have got off. But we were catching some good fish. It's hard to leave when you're catching good fish. <laughs> Fish, and uh, so pastor said, "Take, hey Joel, take the anchor, throw it over. You know, anchor us. You know, we don't, we don't don't know where we're going." So I threw the anchor over, but after a while, it felt like we weren't anchored. But it was kind of hard to tell because we were in the midst of a storm. So finally, pastor said, "Hey Joel, go over and tug on the anchor rope." And when I did, I didn't feel much tension coming back the other way. What happened was when we were laughing, talking, engaging, we weren't paying attention, we untied the anchor from the rope. One <laughs> well, the last times ever everyone fishing with him. <laughs> and we were dangerously drifting toward the spillway without knowing it, thinking we were anchored. Not too much unlike our lives the culture we live in what are you anchored to what are your mooring points are they the mooring points of the culture or of god's kingdom what are you anchored to this morning for
1: me diving had become second nature and that was the source of my problem you see I forgot one of the basic rules of diving, and it could have cost me my life. It started out like any normal dive day. I did a backflip off the boat, no big deal. And as usual, I reached out for that bright yellow anchor rope and followed it down to the ocean floor, almost like it was the road to work. My next task was to get my bearings. So I looked for a few landmarks and let go of the rope, and moved into the joy of discovering this amazing underwater world. Now, the sound of my breathing and the rhythmic movements of the water and the undersea growth, those are normal, but for me, there's always something new to amaze me. There's always some little piece of beauty to draw my attention. Now, one of the first rules of diving is that we're free to explore the beauty of the dive site, but we must always keep our eyes on that anchor rope. In the vast ocean, that rope is the all-important connection to the most important thing for survival, the boat. Now, it might surprise you to learn that even on the calmest of days, there are ocean currents that constantly push and pull anything that's floating or swimming along the ocean floor. And these currents are subtle, they're invisible, and they're deceptive. And they can pull divers to where they don't want to go, even if they're just diving as usual. Now, on this particular day, I don't remember exactly what it was that drew my attention, but what I do remember is that I turned towards this sunken little treasure and away from that anchor rope. And that subtle current started to pull me further, and further, and further away. And after what felt like just minutes, I turned around, and that rope was gone. It was nowhere. Not in any direction. I felt the panic begin to rise in my throat, and I had to remind myself to keep breathing. Slow and steady, and I turned in the direction that I'd last seen the anchor rope, but it wasn't there. So I started to swim in wide circles in both directions, and I prayed for just a glimpse of that yellow strand. How could I have let myself get so distracted and forget the one basic rule that I knew so well. Eventually, there was just one option. I had to surface to the top and pray that I could see that boat. panic started to rise again, and I forced myself to ascend slowly. Don't panic. Straight to the top. I prayed that that boat was close. When I broke the surface of the water, I looked ahead of me, and I looked to my left, and I looked to my right. There is no boat. So with one huge prayer, I spun around, and there it was, (laughs) that beautiful, life-saving boat just 100 yards away. And as I swam towards that boat, I thanked God for allowing me to learn a lesson that I'll never forget.
3: Mooring points are of vital importance in our life. The mooring points that keep us connected with God, that help us follow Jesus in the midst and in an environment that pushes us to go out to sea, but with those mooring points, those things that we come back to, that God teaches us about, that God does in us, are vitally important if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus here and now in our culture. But there's also a third thing that I want to talk to you about this morning from this passage that helps us follow Jesus in the midst of this culture. Why is it so difficult to follow Jesus here and now? Because it requires me to follow Jesus with a posture of humility, with a posture of humility. Romans twelve three says this, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has dis- uh, distributed to each of you. You know, the first two points this morning were all about addressing our perspective. You know, the, the whole idea of our perspective of who's on the throne, okay? And who's on the altar? The perspective of are there things in the culture, unhealthy cultural patterns that I'm giving into that I need to then grab onto God's patterns, God's ropes, God's mooring points and base myself in them so that I'm not just brushed about as Paul put somewhere else in Scripture by every wind of doctrine. Every new idea that comes along. But this other thing that's in this third point, is about our posture. It is important that we have the right position, that we have the right mooring points, that we have the right person on the throne and the right person on the altar, but it's also important that we have the right posture as we are being the hands and feet of Jesus. To a community around us that desperately needs to know Him through what we do and how we act around them. You see, perspective is about being right with God and having things right on the inside. Posture is about demonstrating that I'm right with God and I'm so right with God that I can demonstrate to you with a basin and with a towel, I can wash your feet. You see, Jesus was so strong on the inside that even though the culture of his day was warring against him to give up on his mission in this world, that it says that in his 11th hour, it says that Jesus knew where he had come from, the scripture says. And it says, and he knew where he was headed. He was secure, he had the right mooring points. The Father was on the throne, and he was placing himself on the altar of worship 24 7. And because Jesus did that and had this unique perspective that we need to have, he also took on an intriguing posture. Listen to what he did at the Last Supper with a group of his closest comrades who were finding it difficult to follow Jesus here and now. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin And he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. After washing their feet, he put his robe on again, and he sat down. And he said, do you understand what I am doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because it's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done. The posture of a servant is is rare and it catches the eye of the beholder this next slide that you're gonna see is of a a huge uh, bronze statue you you look at it on there and you can't really get the size it they actually made the statue to be life-size so when you're standing by it and I got to see uh, th- th- there have been a number of copies made. I got to see one in Houston, Texas. And I remember standing there, looking at it, and engaging. Reading the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Realizing that He's God of the universe. And you're just standing there looking at it. And walking around it. It was intriguing. It was moving. I remember the Holy Spirit just breaking me for, look, at what the Son of Man has done. And He tells you, Joel Smith, to become a foot washer, to become someone who takes up the basin and the towel, to somebody with their posture, as their position is right with God, as their mooring points are right with God, as God is on the throne and I'm on the altar, to stoop and bow and wash feet with the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It is that posture here and now that draws people into the presence of Almighty God. Because the last thing that they think of God is that God would come and wash their feet and send somebody to meet a need and get down on their knee and then look up at them. And as you're washing people's feet, You can transfer some of the things that God's doing on the inside. And in that moment, you are most transformed yourself. I'd like to say a word of prayer as we get ready to close the message here. And as I do that, I just want to remind us, we live in a culture, in an environment we need to constantly be getting God on the throne and ourselves on the altar where we constantly need to be saying to God where are my mooring points show me how to put my anchor deep into you and where it's not just about our position or our perspective but it's about our posture before each other and before those who need us to minister God's truth and grace to them as we bow before them and we wash their feet Let's bow our head and close our eyes and talk to God in prayer. Lord, you know that we need to get off the throne and onto the altar. So as we exchange these cultural practices around us for kingdom principles that you teach us in your word, show us so that we have a certain perspective, but also a certain posture. As we join the ranks of those who are marked by the basin and the towel. As we watch the feet of our community here and now, may they catch a glimpse of the Master. And they, like us, exchange the throne for the altar, exchange the ways of the world for His kingdom come, so that they can embark on a life-changing journey with the Master and see this world for what it truly is, not a home in itself, but a highway that leads us homeward. Lead on. Lead on, O King Eternal. We give, you, we give you the throne room of our soul. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. I want you to take out your response card right now, and in these next couple moments, to write down a reflection or a request on your card. If you'd like someone to pray with you, our prayer partners are today with us here in the worship center, and they'll meet you. Under either one of the screens up here, just come up during the next song, and they'll meet with you and pray with you. But I just want to encourage you, and I want to bless you, to soak in what God has to say to your soul in these next few moments, and then act on that. Let's do that right now.
0: And dirty, still somehow you bid for me.
2: Stand for one more song this morning? I'm going to surrender our lives to Jesus. Let's honor him in song right now. I'm reaching a I've made, and I'm not giving up, in spite of sin intrinsic in my soul. I need you, I know, Lord, I'm learning what it means to let we through. I'm reaching out, I'm learning how to proudly claim you alone to those crying out. In spite of all my faults, you use me, Lord. They need to add.
1: this week is that you would hold tightly to that rope, that you would be secure in your mooring points so that you can follow Jesus here and now. If you are a guest with Daybreak today, we again want to say thanks for coming. I'd love for you to take that response card you filled out over to the welcome reception. I'd love to meet you over there and get you connected to someone who can answer any questions that you may have. Um, And so we'd love for you to be able to come over and do that and for the rest of you We'd love for you to take that response card and your tithes and offerings and drop them in the white boxes As we get ready to close the service pastor joel's going to lead us in a prayer for our final act of worship today
3: Let's talk to god together in prayer Lord, we thank you for giving all things to us Thank you for giving us this the pattern of being your servant and washing feet and the the position, Lord, of having mooring points in our life and also having that reminder that we always need to have you on the throne of our life and we need to be on the altar as an act of worship every day, 24-7. So, Lord, thank you for giving all things to us and we thank you for the patterns of giving tithes and offerings and gifts back to you. And so as we exit this worship center this morning, God, And we return back to you our tithes and our gifts and our offering. Take them, break them, multiply them like you did the loaves and fishes, and use them to bring your kingdom to bear in the kingdoms of of this world. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.
0: Yeah,
3: yep. I have to do a funeral.
2: You are light in the darkness. You are hope for the hopeless. You are the God who never fails. You are full of compassion. You are love everlasting. You are the God who never fails. Through it all, your love never changes.